at one forward, 6'8", and a senior, number 30, Marcus Liberty. The crown prince of basketball in Illinois. Marcus Liberty, now the double-A tournament scoring record holder. Liberty, as he comes in, Marcus Liberty with the slam. That shot rims in. Marcus Liberty. Liberty has two, and a finger roll. <laughs> That's quite a shot over Ellis. Wow. A drive and off with the left hand of the youngster from Illinois, Marcus Liberty. Watch out, here's Liberty. This is Liberty. Stutter, step, and glide. You know, you run out of things to say about him. He makes it look so easy. Marcus Liberty, the little twister. Liberty, swish. And now Marcus Liberty is the hot item for the Nuggets. Liberty's got the shot going. He's on fire. Right now, Marcus Liberty is unstoppable for the Nuggets. Liberty, swish. And Marcus Liberty unconscious. Liberty rebounds. Two on four against King, but Liberty pulls up and drills it. Incredible. This is a great one-man show. Liberty caught it, got away from his man, goes all the way in and jumps over Ellis for the deuce. That's, that's quite a jump, too, over him. Liberty continues his assault on the record book in the state tournament. Well, it seems like every time we see Liberty play, just he impresses you with something different. Here comes Marcus Liberty. Count it. 41. 41 for Marcus Liberty in this championship game. That gives him 143 in the tournament. The tournament former scoring record was 115, give you some idea. What is Lou Henson saying? Give me liberty. What's up, everybody? Not my house is in the house. This is your host, Eric. And next to me, as always, is my co-host, Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning, my friend? I'm just excited. We got one of my childhood idols on today. I've always loved watching him play. I mean, he's a legend, so it's just truly an honor. I can't wait to learn from him. Absolutely. He's a Chicago basketball legend. He was a McDonald's All-American, named two-time uh, parade All-American. He was awarded Mr. Illinois and Mr. Basketball in 1987. He put on those incredible Illinois teams and went on to have a great career in the NBA and overseas. Incredible resume. Looking forward to hearing about him. Mr. Marcus Liberty, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Eric. How are you guys doing, Zach? We're doing great. Thanks for coming on the show today. We always like our listeners to, you know, to get to know about our guests a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like growing up and living in Chicago? Yeah, growing up in uh, Chicago, to me, was uh, special. And, and at the same time, you know, learning learning a lot, you know, because there's so much you can get into in Chicago in such a big city. Um, and so I wasn't really into basketball growing up at the, at the young age. Um, I used to just hang out with my friend and we used to just throw rocks and, and, and you know, just hang out and, and be boys, you know, little boys. And and one day, my parents, my dad, and my brothers, I have two brothers, and they played basketball. So they played basketball pretty much every weekend, a family pickup basketball games. And this particular weekend, they needed an extra player. Uh, so they picked me. And I don't know why, because I, I never played before. So, wow. so it was, uh, it was diff, it was diff, it was difficult for me to understand it because it was so many movement piece pieces going on out there on the court. So I didn't understand that, but it kept me out of trouble, you know, because it could have easily went the other way. So that's that's a snippet of what uh what it was like growing up for me at a young young age. Did you like it right away when you played it, or was it something that you had to play for a bit to kind of get you know liking it? You know, I had um, I said this before on another podcast that I didn't know what I was doing, but when I got an opportunity to get out there and I did something, and it gave me some some enthusiasm that I I think I can play this, so I blocked the shot. I blocked someone's shot. It wasn't no offensive play. It was a defensive play. I blocked someone's shot. And everybody started jumping up. My, my family members, they all started jump, jumping up and, like, giving me high five. And, and that's when I caught the bug. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah. maybe maybe it is something here that I can probably do. So I went to my father the next day. Uh, we played that Saturday. I went to my, my dad the next day and said, I want to learn how to play. So he said, you sure? So he took me downstairs because I lived, I grew up, let's rewind a little bit. I grew up in the projects, you know, Chicago Housing Authority, you know, um, on the south side. 
So we had to walk downstairs because the elevator was never really working as much. So got my exercise in that way too, growing up in the, in the inner city of Chicago. But uh, my dad said, if you really want to play, let's go downstairs. So we walked downstairs and mind me, mind you, I'm, I'm living on the 20th floor <laughs> oh, wow. and the elevator's not working. So we have to go all the way down, all the way down the stairs to, uh, to get to the basketball court in the back of my building. And he took me out there and he punished me. He, 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 he elbowed me. My dad was 260 something pounds. And here it is, this 12 year old, you know, maybe 100, you know, 100 pounds at the time. And he's pushing me, knocking me down. And, 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 but I understood what he was trying to do. Now he was trying to see if I really wanted to do it. If you're tough enough, you got to be tough to, to play this game. And I didn't back down. I kept, I kept wanting more. And when he figured that he took me as far as he can go, he let my brothers do it after that. Then my brothers took me as far as they can go, and then they handed me off to someone else that knew the game. So I had some very good people in my life to, te- to teach me the game, and I learned a lot from them. And then you had to walk the 20 flights up after. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's not the kicker, right? The kicker is when my mom goes to the grocery store, and she has all these bags and we got to go up two or three times, you know, back and forth. Oh, and it was usually me doing the, doing the work because I was a mama's boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Hey, I got a question. Cause this is a, you know, this is an old school question, but one I love to ask because you don't see it happen much anymore. How important was that blacktop game to your development as a player, especially in that Chicago area where blacktop was huge back then? Eric, everything. Yeah. Everything. Because, and the reason why I say everything is because you're playing out there with guys that's a little bit older than you, you know, and you can, you get taught the game on the fly. And and if you're not ready for it, for it, it can eat you alive, you know? So I remember guys, when I, I may score a basket out there on that blacktop and, and they would say good shot or man, you should have did this, you know, and then the next time down, I'll do that. You know, so you, you're learning the game. It's, it's no refereeing. You call your own calls. So I wasn't even really calling a lot of fouls or anything like that. I was just playing through through things. So it, I was trying to get that toughness, that mental toughness, because you need that to me to play the game of basketball. And in the inner city of Chicago, and that's what's sad to me right now, that a lot of kids don't have that opportunity that I had growing up in the Chicago area playing on that blacktop. I'm glad you bring that up because I I think that's one of the things that's missing from the game, that toughness. And it's always funny. Anytime you play in a, you know, like a morning game or some kind of pickup game, you can always tell the guys that actually played, you know, out, not outside, not in the gym because they're the ones always not calling the fouls compared to calling the fouls and those type of things. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. I just wanted, yeah. to, I just wanted to ask you that question. Yeah, no, good question too. Good question. Yeah. And I mean, the blacktop also allows you to be so much creative. Like it allows you to bring that creativity to the game. And that's one thing I noticed about your game is how creative you were. I mean, I really don't remember a lot of kids at your height being able to handle the rock like you, score like you. I mean, the finger rolls. I mean, you were smooth. So, I mean, who did you want to play like, act like, chew gum like? Who were some of your idols growing up, like the guys that you tried to emulate your game after? Well, you know, growing up in Chicago, again, you you got opportunity to watch NBA games a lot, you know, not as much as they do now. I mean, games are on so much now, but this particular games, like you might see um, the late, the Lakers. I was a big Magic Johnson fan. So he was six, nine and he can handle the basketball. And I liked his passing ability. So I would go out there once I watch him and go outside and try to do exactly the same thing that he just did. Right. So he was six, nine handling the ball. So I said, you know what? I want to learn how to handle the ball like that. And then another guy was George Gervin, the Iceman. You know, I, I, I think he had that smooth charisma about himself. So I was like, I like the way he walks. I like the way he moves. I like the way he, you know, finger rolls that basketball. Even though his hands were bigger than mine, you could tell he could pick it up off the bounce and, and, and palm it. I couldn't palm a basketball. So if you ever see my finger rolls, I always flick it. I'll flick yeah. it up. And, and But I got it from George Gervin. George Gervin was one of my idols, and I think, these today's young kids don't know, like I knew it was a lot of work behind it, you know, but a lot of times when kids see Steph Curry shoots threes, they don't see the hours 
and hours that he put in to master that three-point shot. They automatically just want to go and shoot the three, start shooting the three. He worked in close and mastered it, you know. So when I saw Magic doing the passes, of course I knew I had to put some reps in and get better at it. I didn't think it was going to happen overnight. And I think that's what's missing in today's game. Yeah, and I went back and watched some of your games. And, I mean, I just had a feeling you are going to say George Gervin. I swear, I just had a feeling. But <laughs> I, I want to know about the high school scene. Because, I mean, you played in such an amazing era. I mean, Nick Anderson, Benji Wilson. I mean, LaFonso Wells, Will Gates. So talk to us about the high school scene in Chicago and some of the other names that you went up against. I mean, did you have a rival, maybe one guy that just got under your skin a little bit more than others? I can honestly say no. No, no one. Because – I think because I was a quiet guy, I wasn't a raw, raw type of player. Um, I think people didn't know, like if they said something and, and it, you might make him even angrier and he might give you 50 points instead of 25, 30 points, you know? So, and I loved it though. When guys did try to talk trash to me, you know, they're in, they in trouble, they in trouble. And, and what I liked about Chicago public schools is you can get beat anytime. Anytime, you know, so Cox, my high school coach, who's no longer with us, he has something about him that he gave us confidence. The way we dressed, the way we came in the gym, the way we did the layup lines, everything played a part of that. So we were intimidating the other team before we even did jump ball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And, I mean, there, there's one player in particular that I want to ask you about just because we don't get to hear a whole lot about him. And, I mean, Benji Wilson, I mean, I feel like our listeners need to know more about him. And, I mean, you're both at one point considered the best. So what was your first impression of Benji and, in your opinion, how good was he? Benji was the same type player, can handle the basketball, can do a lot of things with the ball, 6'9". It's just – it's unfortunate that, uh, that a lot of us didn't get a really an opportunity to see what Benji could have become. become. And, um, you know, what happened to him is, you know, senseless violence, got shot and killed. But his game was smooth. Um, he, uh, he, he knew how to pass. He had a hell of a passing game. He was ranked the number one high school player in the country. Um, and when that happened to him, it, it shut the city down, you know. And I can remember you know, my mom telling me because we thought he was going to make it. And they said he he didn't he didn't he didn't come through. And I didn't want to go to school no more. You know, it's like you can feel his present, you know, because everybody wanted to be like him. You know, he's like, man, I want to be like Benji. Like I watched Benji and I took some of his game, you know, and and because and, and, he was two years older than me. And and when he when he passed, man, it hurt everybody. So I just think everyone didn't get the full effect of Benji because his ceiling was so high. You know, it was more to come from Benji and we just didn't get that opportunity. So, but he was a smooth player, can get you buckets, can, can, can pass, can shoot, can dribble, um, did a lot of great things, man. And it's, it's sad. And it's unfortunate that we still going through that same thing in Chicago gun violence. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I really appreciate you sharing that answer because, I mean, to this day, you still see players wearing number 25 in honor of him. I mean, you can just see the impact that he had on the the city, both on and off the court. Um, But, I mean, you're also an idol for quite a few of our guests that we've had. And I just got to ask from, like, the state championship tournament where you had 143 points in four games and Sports Illustrated lists you as a top prep player in the nation – you're named a McDonald's All-American. I mean, how important were your coaches, families, or peers during that time to keep you grounded? Because it seems like that would be a big-time distraction for a lot of players at such a young age. So, I mean, how did they uh, kind of keep you grounded, and how did you deal with, like, the pressure that maybe you were feeling at the time? Yeah, my dad. My dad. It was my sophomore year. You know, I started getting, you know, the buzz my sophomore year in high school. And I remember somebody, I can't remember what particular uh, editor it was, but it was in the paper and they were saying all these great things about me. Oh, he's smooth. He's going to be the next top dog coming out of Chicago, maybe the nation, you know, and, and I got excited. I was like running around the house, read the newspaper. And my dad said, come here. He said, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. He said, sometimes they write things about you to get you up, but that same guy, who wrote that article will tear you down. 
So he kind of like leveled me down a little bit, toned me down a little bit. And then I started thinking, all right, I'm not playing for the media. I'm not playing for, you know, articles. I'm not playing for, you know, to get on television. I'm not playing. I'm playing for my family, you know, in my neighborhood, actually. So so when he said that everywhere I go, I said, I got to be respectful. I can't get in trouble. I got to make sure I'm doing the right thing on the basketball court, which I knew I loved the game. So I wasn't playing for, you know, to play the game or the McDonald All-American game to say, you know what, I'm going to go out there and be the MVP. I, I went out there because I loved the game. So whatever else came with that, it was okay with me. But I didn't say that's gonna make it or make or break me. Yeah, you know that's incredible because I'm I'm thinking back on the beginning of our conversation, and you started playing at twelve. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's happened for you at what 15, 16, 17 years old. I mean, that's you know way to go for pops to you know put you in check, and and then way way to go for yourself because. A lot of people don't understand, you know, being 16, 17, 18 years old, I mean, you're still a kid, you know, yes. and they put these these insane, you know, things on you thinking that you're supposed to be this an adult, but you're really not. I mean, you probably, did you even go to prom yet? I mean, you know, people forget <laughs> about those things, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so one of the questions I want to ask is, you know, a lot of the top players, you know, went to Nike or the ABCD camp in high school. We've heard some incredible stories from a lot of our guests about those camps. What kind of measuring stick were those camps for you and how did that experience help you? So like, you know, when you're playing, if you had great games, are you thinking like, okay, you know what? I can see the next level. I can see the forest from the trees now. Yeah, it's the best. I mean, the Nike, ABCD camp uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, the top of the top, the top of the crop, they come there. You know, I remember the, I remember, you know, Dennis Scott was there, uh, Sean Higgins, uh, Lloyd Daniels. Oh, yeah. These were all the top of the top guys, you know. And at the time, a lot of people don't know this. At the time, Lloyd Daniels was the number one high school player in the country. And we were all at this camp. So we was going to see who came out of that camp, yeah. who was going to be crowned the number one player in the country. And Lloyd Daniels, he was there for one, maybe, maybe one hour, two hours, and he left. He left. Um, and so that left Dennis Scott. You know, I had to play against Dennis Scott to see who was going to come out of that camp to be the top dog. So I remember I played against Dennis Scott maybe two or three times and I only played against the other guys once. You know, so they was trying to really see who was going to be that top dog coming out. And they crowned me that 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 guy, you know, because uh I, like I told you before earlier, I just love playing the game. So it doesn't matter who I was playing against, but I knew that's what they were trying to do. So yeah. I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and just do me and, and, and see what happens after that. I'm glad you bring up Lloyd. I remember Lloyd um, and uh, I remember Tark trying to give him opportunities and whatnot. And, and uh, man, what a special player he could have been Ooh. too, right? Another guy we didn't Ooh. see the potential of, you know. Think about this, though. That... That was that era to me when you saw guys at 6'8 dribbling the basketball. Yeah. Lloyd Daniels had handles. I had handles. Sean Higgins had handles. Dennis Scott had handles. So all those guys in that group right there, in that 86, 87 group, they had mad handles, man. And, and I think the game was transforming right in before our eyes. Lenny Bias. Lenny Bias. Yeah. Lenny Bias. I mean, it, it, it can like, we can go on and on and on and talk about, you know, the hybrid you know, small forwards that started dribbling the basketball up the court and doing their thing. No, I agree with you, man. I, I it, it, That definitely was that era for sure. So you stay home, you play for Illinois. Was there any other schools that you were looking at or any other schools that were uh, you you had your eye on where maybe maybe I'd go there or was Illinois the, the, the school you were going to? No, I mean, if, if you heard some of the interviews of Coach Collins, Coach Collins was the assistant coach that was really, really recruiting me hard at Illinois. And he said I probably was one of the hardest players to convince to come to Illinois, you know, because I was open, you know, be, to see what else was out there. You know, even though I love my state school, um, I, I really wanted to make sure I made the right decision um, in picking the school. So Syracuse. Syracuse was one of my top, you know, schools and Georgetown, you know, the Big East, you know, you watch that a lot. The Big East came on television a lot in the 80s. You know, they were always on television and Syracuse was always on. I remember watching Pearl Washington 
um, handling the basketball. And then, of course, Georgetown with Patrick Ewing and Reggie Williams and David Wingate. Uh, that squad uh, used to come on all the time. So, and those two schools came out to me. John Thompson came out to me and really wanted me. He said, I really want you to come. Um, and I said, I shared this on before too, that if I, what I know now, you know, John Thompson, when he was recruiting me, he wasn't talking a lot about basketball. You know, he was talking about how or what you're going to become when you, when you leave Georgetown. You know, not that you was going to make it to the NBA, not that you was going to be an All-American here, but I can help you become a better person when you leave here. And and I didn't get it at the time because, I'm like you said earlier in the podcast, I'm 16, 17 you know, years old, you know, so I'm thinking of basketball when you come and recruit me. I'm not thinking about the other part, you know, that that really that is important. And when John Thompson said that, man, it still resonates to, in my ear to this day that, man, he wanted the best for me. You know, so I would probably if I know what I know now, I probably would have went to Georgetown. But back to what we was talking about them recruiting, Syracuse came at me so hard. And I made actually on my visit, I made a verbal commit, a verbal commitment to there, you know, because I watched they practice and I was like, man, I love the way they play. I love the way they run up and down. It's definitely my style, uh, the plan and plan. And Wayne Morgan told me, he said, your high school coach said, I didn't, we didn't have a chance to get you, you know? And so he got on the phone, called Wayne Morgan and Wayne Morgan, uh, Start talking to him and Cox said, my, my high school coach said, get back, get back on the plane. Don't sign nothing. I said, but I already verbal commit. He said, that's <laughs> nothing. That's nothing. As long as you haven't signed anything, that's nothing. So I get back on the plane and, and go back home, man. And, and then I, I kind of got confused because I said, you know, my heart is saying, you know, Syracuse, but my mind is telling me Illinois is the school, you know, because it's close to home, your mom, you know, can see your parents can see you. You got people you already know down there. Nick Anderson, Kendall Gill, Stephen Bardo, Larry Smith, you know, you Urban Small, Lowell Hamilton. You, are, you already played with those guys, so you know them. You know, so you, know, you just you just you get confused at, at that young age. And I just I had to take a deep breath and make a hard decision, you know, like to turn Syracuse down and actually go, you know, attend the University of Illinois. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is such a tough decision to make at such a young age. And I got to ask, though, I mean, that team is loaded with guys like Nick Anderson, Kendall Gill, Kenny Battle, Steve Bardo. But I remember very vividly you had the ball in your hands a lot in high school, playing a lot of guard. But then I remember you in college playing a lot inside. And I just got to ask what adjustments you had to make to your game at the next level. But also, what was an everyday practice like with that kind of talent? Yeah, it was – for I the last question, it, the, the, that with all that talent in there, a lot of people were getting dunked on. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to say it. A lot of people were getting dunked on. Now, the play, I had to play inside if I wanted to play, you know, on that squad. You know, just I'm just going to call it like it is. You know, uh, Kendall Gill was already, you know, had made him establish himself. Nick Anderson already established himself. Uh, so I knew it was going to be hard for me to get minutes, you know, with them spots, you know, but playing inside, it was it was going to be different. So I had to work a little bit hard. I can I, I always knew the post up game a little bit, uh, but that wasn't my game, but I knew it. So I had to make that adjustment if I wanted to get out of out there on the court, you know, and I wanted to play. I was not happy sitting on the bench and I don't think anybody is happy and content with sitting on the bench. So. I had to do what was best for, you know, the team at that time, you know, was I upset and, and, and not happy? Yeah. But it looked what happened. You know, we, we, we ended up going to the final four, you know, I think if it wasn't uh, me being a part of that, I don't know if we, 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 we get to the final four because you remember in one of those games, Louisville, both of the, both of our star players went down low, low Hamilton and Kenny Bauer, you know, so uh, and I wasn't starting at the time. I was coming off the bench, but I started, you know, that game because they both were hurt and we, we, we won that game. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun team to watch though. I mean, you got the nickname coined flying Illini by Dick Vitale. And I just got to ask, I mean, March Madness, 
you have so such little time to prepare for these teams. I mean, you're playing a game and then, you know, a day later you're playing another team in the next round. So, I mean, can you talk about some of those emotional roller coasters that you as a team are going through? I mean, from the highs to the lows, because I mean, you lost, that was a heartbreaker in that final four, like you said. So, I mean, can you kind of talk about that whole emotional roller coaster? Yeah, we had a, this, this one, we had a great group of, group of guys, you know, so we didn't get too high and we didn't get too low, you know, and I think that's what made us special, you know, that we knew we had one common goal and we talked about that at the beginning of the season and that's to win it all. We wanted to win it all. So we didn't, we didn't have too many ups and downs as far as that go, but preparing for teams that, you know, have big seven footers and we all are six, eight and six, five and six, six. We didn't have anybody, a legitimate seven foot center, you know? So we knew that we all had to play together. We knew that we all had to rebound together. We knew that we all had to share the ball. We knew that we all had to run the floor to try to outbeat those big guys that once we played them. And I got, like I stated before, Louisville had one of those guys, Purvis Ellis, you know, he's seven foot. So we knew we had to to get up and down the court. If we didn't, he would block our shots. You know, so it wasn't a lot of up and down. I mean, as far as emotion goes, but because we and I'm going to go back a little bit. I think it's because we were all from Chicago playing in the Chicago public school. Most of us, Nick Anderson played as a public school. I did. Uh, Kendall played against us, even though he was in a, a different conference. Uh, so we all had that that mental toughness already. So when we got to the final four, we didn't look at it as, oh, we here. We looked at it like we belong. And you know, I think we had that confidence, too. Yeah, that's a great point, especially, you know, making that decision to go to Illinois. You know, I think that was really smart. You know, it was your mom that said that, right? Yeah. Talking to you about, yeah, it's really smart. You know what I mean? Because one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand, I mean, maybe they do, is chemistry is important, but chemistry is really important, you know, at that college level. You know what I mean? So that's 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 a super, super smart thing by moms, you know, keeping you there for sure. And you got you got to do Final Four, which is amazing. What was the draft process like for you? Do you have any memorable workouts or any surprises on draft night? Yeah, yeah, I had um, I had a couple. Like I remember, first I remember putting my name into the draft, and not really knowing, you know. And the only reason why I did it because, well, two reasons I did it because the NCAA was coming to investigate Illinois in regards to the situation with Deion Thomas and Bruce Pearl. And it was rumors going around that we weren't going to be on television. We weren't going to be, you know, in a tournament. So that was playing in the back of my mind. And then I knew the situation at home, you know, as I stated earlier, that I grew up in the project. You know, I want to be able to help my mom, you know, become, you know, a, a better life for my mom. So I had those two things, you know, on my mind. So when it was time, I figured I averaged close to 18 points a game and almost eight rebounds. So I said, I'm going to put my name in the draft and I'm going to see what happens, you know, but I got a lot of feedback stating you should go back. You should go back. And I was like, I know I'm ready. I know I can do it. And I remember the coach, Coach Collins came over to me to the house, you know, and my place. And he said, uh, you need to uh, rethink this, man. You need to believe. Really, I said, coach, it's too late. I already, I already withdrew from school. So I already had my mind made up because I didn't want to have that doubt after that, you know. So I made that decision, put my name in the draft, and now I have to hire an agent. So I got to figure that part out. I didn't know that, you know. I knew you had to have an agent, but I didn't know that process that, man, it's a bunch of agents, just like when you're being recruited for, you know, colleges. So all these agents come and call in and want, you know, me to sign with them. And I ended up signing with a guy by the name of Keith Glass out of New Jersey. And he was telling me, he said, man, there's a couple of teams that really like you, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. So we flying, they flying. I went to Portland. I went to uh, Phoenix. I went to the Lakers, you know, I had a workout with the Lakers and New York. I was going, I was going to go to New York, miss my flight. No, no. It was an early flight. I'm talking about, I had to be at the airport like three o'clock in the morning and I was tired and I missed the flight. And so my, I called my agent. I said, man, I missed the flight. He said, Marcus, they really like you too, man. They, 
I think we could have got that deal done or something. They could have probably drafted you. So New York said, nope, that's it. We on to the next. You know, so I'm like, man, I'm hurt. I don't know what to do now. And then the other team I worked out for was Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks, the day of the draft, you know, because I think I had a good workout for the Milwaukee Bucks. The day of the draft, they said, keep your phones, keep your phones, you know, lines open because we're going to pick you with the 15, 15 pick. Right. So I was like, oh, OK, that's that's pretty cool. So the drafts comes on first round, you know, Milwaukee Bucks, when they got their selection, the Milwaukee Bucks select Terry Mills out of Michigan. I'm like, whoa. So I'm like, ow, I don't know what's going to happen to me now because, you know, you just, they just said and gave me that information. Um, I didn't think I was going to get drafted after that, you know. So I, I, I fell asleep. My mom, you know, my mom stayed up and watched it. My brothers, they watched it. I actually fell asleep. And then when the second round came, uh, the Denver Nuggets pick came up and they selected me the second round, 40, 42nd pick. And the owners got on the phone. Doug Moe got on the phone and said, we are so happy that you slipped. And he's not really like we're not saying you're a bad player, but we're happy that they missed out on you and you fell into our lap. So it kind of made me happy because I was down a little bit. And then I said, well, I'm ready to get to work. So I flew out there the next day to Denver and started to to get ready, you know, get used to Doug Moe. And before the season started, they fired him. Wow. So I played for three different coaches with the Nuggets. And, and it's hard to adopt, adapt to the game if you got that many co- different coaches and not really knowing the game. Know that NBA game because it's fast. It's fast. They're stronger. They jump higher. <laughs> and here it is. I'm, you know, just a little little boy just trying to learn how to play it at NBA level. And it was it was hard for me. It was definitely hard. Yeah, I mean, it makes it even more difficult when you have three different coaches in, like you said, three different years. I think it was. Um, and I, I just got to ask. I mean, how do you really find your role in the NBA? Or who taught you how to be like a true professional to kind of be patient and wait your turn when you're going through something like that? That's what I was really uh, was upset at because no one on the team did that. You know, you was you would expect the you know the adults, the veterans, you know, the veterans on the team would would help you with that you know to understand the game how to how to treat yourself and how to how to prepare yourself how to make sure you get the proper sleep how to make sure you don't go out and do certain things so I was learning a lot on my own you know and I think that was another thing that probably hurt me you know because I'm learning and I've never been there before so I'm 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 expecting you know we had Orlando Woolrich we had um uh, Walter Davis, you know, Michael, Michael Adams, you know, T.R. Dumb. We had some veteran, veteran players, but I, I'm thinking that they didn't want to help because if I help you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay in the league as long as I can. So yeah. if I help you, maybe you, maybe you're taking food off the table for me. Yeah. That's how, that's how I looked at it. You know, I could yeah. be wrong, but that's how I looked at it. You know what I mean? We hear a lot of stories like that, too. And I mean, the NBA is such a business, and uh, I think that's what a lot of fans don't understand. But I do have a couple fun questions I want to ask you, because we always get some really interesting answers when we ask this question. But I got to ask, what was your welcome to the league moment? Like, who was that first guy to really burn you where you're thinking like, wow, like the NBA is different? It was another one of my the guys that I looked up to, uh, Bernard King. Nice. I mean, <laughs> He, I, he was with Washington at the time, um, and he had just came off an injury. And this one, I knew that the NBA was the real deal. You know, he he literally dropped, I, I want to say, 50 points. You know, all of them went on me, but <laughs> he got a lot of them on me, you know. <laughs> and, and, and But that's the reason why I went number 30 is because of him. You know, and, and now it is I'm, I'm up here like going against him. You know, I know I should have mentioned him earlier that, that he was another one of my guys that I looked up to because he was a walking bucket. He can give you points from the inside, outside. He wasn't too fancy with the handles. He'll get to his spots, you know. So if you watch some of me when I was playing in high school, that's what I was doing. I was just getting to my spots and shooting. I got that from uh, 
Bernard King just by watching him. So I thought I would be prepared for him when we played him. I thought I would know his, know his moves. And, man, he can flat out score the ball. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was one of my idols, too. One of my favorite players and one of my most inspirational players to me because I went through injuries. So he was somebody that I really looked to when I was going through that. And uh, I got to ask, did you have any rookie duties on that team when you have the veterans like T.R. Dunn, Walter Davis? I mean, did they make you carry their bags or get the newspaper or anything like that? Well, you know, the funny thing about it is we came in, we had two. So it was me and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf came in together. So, of course, he was the higher pick, right? So we had two rookies get drafted the same year. So I think they would they would push a lot of stuff to him. Of course, they would do the things like kick the basketballs all over at the end of the practice they'll throw the balls all up in the stands you got to go run and get it and bring them back down so they did that uh, of course they they, they said rookie you got to go go get me coffee every morning on the road you know those type of stories that 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 you had to do you know it's kind of like your initiation you know to the nba and then i remember another time but this wasn't me this was really mutambo right mutambo is seven what seven foot you know plus or whatever you and we was going on this road trip so back then you know it was commercial flights you wasn't flying on a private plane so and it's seniority you know so we i'm sitting in first class mutombo was sitting all the way back in coach and he was pissed <laughs> he was like he was like man welcome to the nba man this is this is how it is so that was a cool story that's amazing. That's amazing. That's yeah, awesome. man. He was, I'm talking about his knees were in the back of somebody's you know, <laughs> neck. <laughs> I could oh, just man. hear. I could just hear him all pissed, man. That's amazing. Yeah, he was pissed the, too. The way he talks. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of that, and it, just the business in general, the NBA is ruthless. I mean, we've heard we've had so many guests on telling us crazy stories about finding how they got traded on Sports Center and stuff like that. Um, a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to get traded if you have a family or just trying to learn basically a whole new city, you know, wherever you get traded to, you know, just a whole new culture, everything. I mean, you know, you, you live in New York and then you get traded to L.A. That's a whole different vibe or, you go, you know, wherever you go, Minnesota. Right. I mean, you know, we were I was watching the stuff on Marbury documentary and they were talking about him going to Minnesota and what a culture shock that was from coming from New York City. Um, do you remember how you found out you got traded and how tough of a transition was that for you? Man, it was crazy. <laughs> we had a game. Actually, we were going to Minnesota. Denver was going to play Minnesota. I had my bags packed. I'm ready to get in my car. And I get a phone call from Bernie Bickerstaff. He says, uh, are you sitting down? I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. I said, I said, oh, I'm about to leave, you know, get in the car so I can go to the airport so I can, you know, meet the team so we can fly to uh, Minnesota. He said, no, you won't be needing to do that. You know, um, Detroit is going to be calling you. We just traded you to uh, to uh, Detroit. So, and my wife at the time, because I was married with my wife, and um, she wasn't even there. So I had, I had a child, I had one, you know, girl, a little girl. So they were in Chicago. I'm living in Denver. So I have to call them and say, look here, I just been traded. So they try to, they got to come back home, you know, really quick. But I was already gone because Detroit was like, we expecting you to be on that flight tonight to come wow. to Detroit. You know, so I had to unpack, you know, my little stuff that I was just going to go for a couple of days to now packing everything, all my clothes and saying, you know what, I got to get on this plane tonight, you know, to go to Detroit. So it was, it was very difficult for me at the time because that never happened to me. Didn't. So now I'm looking at it like, man, they didn't like me, man. Or is, is I'm good enough to, you know, just to play in the, to, to play in the NBA, you know? So it was, it was real hard for me to really understand that. And then I think that kind of sucked a little bit of the air out of me too, you know, about the business side of the NBA. And that's what I try to teach, you know, now when I talk to kids now, I said, don't, don't just say you love the game, understand the game, 
understand that it's going to become a business one day. So if you keep saying it out of your mouth, how much you love it and then forget about the other side of it, then that's when you start losing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the business in the NBA can definitely suck the love out of the game for a lot of people from what we hear. It's, it's definitely not an easy transition. And you played a long time overseas. You had a great career overseas. I mean, what was the overall experience over there like? And I mean, did you have desire to go back to the NBA or were you pretty content with how things were going overseas? No, I always wanted to, you know, try to get back into the NBA. But once back then, I don't it's different now, but back then, once you went across that water, they pretty much thought that that was it, you know, that you're trying to start a career over there and wasn't really trying to, you know, mess, you know, with you to come back to, to the NBA. Uh, so, no, I had a okay, I would say an okay career overseas. And um, it, it was a coach that took the love. I, I really let a coach take the love of the game for me in Greece and, and it was it was one of those practices where he lets me do whatever I want. It's kind of like when high school, I was dominating in practice. But then when the game starts, he wants to start getting in my ear, telling me to do this, telling me to do that. And I'm like, well, that's what you should have been telling me in practice because so I can get used to it and get accustomed to how you want me to play out there on the court when the game play starts. But he never did that. It's almost like he was playing the Jedi mind tricks and trying to, you know, play mind games with you. And I, I just, I just never liked that, you know. So he took the love away from me. I said, man, you know what? I don't even want to play no more. I just, but I know I had a family. So I said, do I not play or I just get the check? So I just started saying, you know what? I'm just gonna get the check, you know. So the love was gone. I'm just yeah. gonna play and get the check. I'm gonna get as as many checks as I can to make sure I take care of my family. Yeah. And I definitely hear you on that. I coach high school sports now too. And I mean, the one thing is communication's key, but also to make it fun. That's also key. I mean, if they're not having fun, then they're probably not going to perform. And especially that communications off. Um, one of the, one of my favorite questions I like to ask, I mean, there's so many crazy experiences that we've heard from players during their time overseas, whether it's in the game, the fans are just living in a different country. I mean, what's the wildest experience that you've had that comes to mind? Oh, we beat a team in Cyprus. Uh, and <laughs> for one, I should have knew something was different in this arena when you had the bench and you had a big old plexi, plexiglass glass <laughs> over your over your bench. Like I'm a like, hockey, like a hockey box. Yeah. <laughs> so so we won the game, and next thing you know, um, next thing you know, they throwing coins and plastic bottles on the court and i'm like oh and the coach said get out of here run run and i'm like run what are we gonna run to we're gonna get hit you know so i had to cover my head with my hands man my arms and just get to the locker room you know it was that was wow that was wow and then i have another experience when when i first went overseas it was a couple of guys that was, that was from Chicago that played overseas and they were saying, man, you're going to get a Villa, you're going to get, you know, a Mercedes. And, and so I'm like excited, you know, I'm going to France and I'm going, you know, getting off the plane and, and I get there and he said, here's your, you know, here's your keys to your car. It was a Hyundai. <laughs> and, and then it was apartment. I said, where's the Villa, you know? So, so every every team doesn't treat you like that, you know? So now I, I have to tell people sometimes you start at the bottom of some, some team or, or, or if you don't know, like if your agent doesn't know the history of that team or that organization that you're going to play for, it can be one of those teams that needs you to save them, to keep them up, you know, in the top, to top, the top division. So I didn't know that. So the team that I played for was one of the teams at the top, the bottom of the, the division. So it wasn't a whole lot that, you know, I got out of that. So I, I like to tell that story a lot. No, that's a great point because people don't realize how many different leagues there are 
overseas and how many different teams are overseas and how many different places you're playing overseas. And like you said, sometimes, you know, guys are wondering if they're getting their paychecks or not compared to other places where you're getting paid a lot of money. They just think, oh, he's going to play overseas. They don't have that concept of of how that works. I mean, we've learned that from our show when people start telling, you know, did you get hit with the, uh, were the coins, um, were they warmed up with cigarette lighters when they threw them? Because <laughs> we've heard that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, when I played in Greece, it was, man, they lit a fire up in the stands. You know, it was, it was crazy because I tell this story because when you're in Greece, in Athens, you know, you're playing against basically soccer teams. You know, these are the powerhouse soccer teams. So those fans are not really basketball fans, but they soccer fan, fans. So when you played their school, I mean, their their, their teams, uh, like I played for Ike. Ike was a big, you know, time, you know, soccer program. And then you got Panthenacos and Olympiacos. So those soccer fans will come into the arena just to stir up things, you know. And, and it's fun because you hear them, you know, making all this noise and, beating and banging on things and lighting fire and, and all that. But I'm like, man, you guys taking it a little bit too far. <laughs> right. Right. Or like, uh, you know, the other one I like to hear, which, which I don't think a lot of people think about is some of those arenas, they smoke cigarettes. Smoke right. Cigarettes. So it's like, then you're in the arena. It's like, how do you play a basketball game in an arena full of smoke? I mean, that's got to definitely deter you in terms of conditioning. Right. I mean, yes, and that's not even the kicker. Right, it's players over there that's smoking in at halftime. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I, I'm like, I'm like, the coach over here talking, and another one of the players right over here just smoking him a cigarette. Just smoking him a cigarette, like it's wow. nothing. Like it's nothing. You know, like, that's wow. A, that's it's a whole different galaxy, man. One one of the questions I like to ask because I think it's important, um, especially with how much the European game has grown into the NBA game. You know. Um, who was the guy that was the guy when you were playing overseas? And it doesn't have to be somebody that, you know, everybody would know. It's something that would be cool for people to look up if they didn't know him. But who was that one guy that was like the Michael Jordan over there? Well, I can't remember the guy's name, man. Um, it was it Pager. It might have been him. He was that that guy, man, like you couldn't stop him. He was, he can shoot the basketball. Uh, he can dribble. Um, but I, I think it was Pager at the time, you know, he was playing over in Serbia and we played his team and I'm like, this guy can really shoot the lights out. And then there was another guy I played against and he played it. He eventually played in the NBA too. Uh, Turkaloo. Oh yeah. Same you know, team. Turkaloo. And he was over in um, in Turkey, you know, playing for F.S. Pilsen. And and I was like, who is this dude? You know, and I'm watching him, you know, dribble the basketball and do all these great things. And that's when I knew that the Europeans can play this game of basketball. You know, and then I started watching their club teams and how they develop their players and how they work and everybody's doing the same drills and the footwork and all this stuff. And I'm like, we missing out on something man, over here because they are doing it at a very young age. And, yeah. Yeah. They're very, I sneaky. Saw that. they're very mm -hmm. sneaky. You know, when you look at them, you're, you're not thinking this guy's going to put, you know, 25 yep. and 10 up. And the next thing you know, he's got 25 and 10, right? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, we live in the Reno area. So the Sacramento Kings was the team we would get on TV a lot, you know, so we saw Hito and and uh, all those guys because Sacramento had quite a bit of European players at, at one point yes. for a while, and uh, they were sneaky. You look at the builds of these guys, and they didn't have like NBA builds. You know what I mean? They weren't like muscular looking guys. They were just, but yeah, they could score, man, and pass too. Like yeah, fundamentals. You're not lying. The fundamentals is something that. You know, I'm glad it kind of is. I mean, I would like to see it brought back more into today's NBA, but those guys definitely brought the fundamentals. You know, whoever they play with, Dallas, you know, San Antonio is another big team that had a lot of Europeans over there that just, man, amazing stuff. And speaking of fundamentals, you got into coaching. Um, when did you When did you know you wanted to coach? And um, how rewarding is it to give back to the game? Yeah, I'm, I was actually thrown into that part. 
But the development part, I love doing the individual training, talking, teaching, uh, that part. Dick Vitale actually got me to coach. You know, he lives here in Sarasota, Florida, and it's a private school. It was uh, right right across the street from his house. And he's like, he said, like, man, my, my grandkids go there and I need somebody who's, who knows the game to coach him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he threw my name in a hat. And I was like, Dick, I don't know if I want to coach, you know. I said, I, I love, you know, the development part of it, but I don't know if I want to do the X and O's and all that. And he said, no, you'll do it. You'll be, you'll be good at it. <laughs> so I threw my name in it. And next thing you know, I'm the head coach over at this private school. And um, I actually enjoyed it. You know, I, I did the boys. And then the last, you know, year or two, I, was, I did the girls. But I think I'm going to step away now and, and just focus on my program. I have a program here where I develop kids and and, and teach them the game and, and, and travel ball teams and all that. So I think I'm going to stay with that now. But it is very rewarding to see a kid smile when you talk to them and they get it. They follow in instructions and they go out there and actually do what you just asked them to do. And it's no better feeling, you know, because I, I know that I'm touching someone, you know, live to, to basically help them become somebody. And I told them everybody's not going to make it to the NBA, but it's tons of colleges. You can get a college scholarship if that's what you choose to do. If you work hard enough, you can do that. You can be that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm I'm just trying to picture Dick Vitale in, in my head going, Marcus, baby, Marcus, baby, you got a coach, baby. <laughs> that's <laughs> him. That's him. That's him. I can tell totally you. And, and you bring up good points. I wanted to touch on this earlier, and I didn't get a chance to. Um, we uh, we've heard from definitely some players about coaches that made a difference in their lives, and talking about you know how they talked less about basketball. And when you mentioned John Thompson, there's, there were some other coaches too. Uh, Don Chaney was another one that people brought up. That was just like, those guys were just so solid in making them become men. And I think that's something that's underrated that people don't realize when you have a good coach, a good coach's job is not only to, you know, win basketball games or football games, but also to get you to that next level. So if you don't make it into league or whatnot, you, you can be, a productive part of society where you can give back to other people also, and you can take the things you learn in sports and apply them to everyday life. You know what I mean? Wow. So you're getting to do that. You know what I mean? Being, you're being hitting it. You, I mean, you're hitting it all like right on the, right on the nose, man. That's, that's who I am. That's what, you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, it's so many times that you get these coaches, you know, I don't know, you know, who's doing it, but sometimes you can tell, you know, coaches that's really sincere about a kid, and want to see a kid be successful off the court just as much as they do on the court. Um, but you, then you get some to just say, you know what, I want to win as many championships or many games as I possibly can, and I'm done with you. I don't even need to see you no more, you know. And you can feel that, you know, that you can feel that from a coach. You can feel the sincere sincerity of, of a coach if they, you know, really want to see you succeed off the court as well as they want to see you on the court. And Jimmy Collins was that guy for us at Illinois. He wasn't just – he just wanted to – you know, see us make a lot of baskets and, and and win a lot of games, but he was also a mentor to a lot of us. And, you know, until he passed a couple of years ago, he was still in our lives and making sure that we were good, you know, and, and I, and I always respected him for that, you know, and coach Henson was a little bit different. He was more quiet. I mean, he'll talk to us, but he wasn't like what Jimmy Collins was to us. And I think Jimmy Collins was that because Jimmy Collins can relate to where we came from too. Yeah, that's a that's a key. I teach music for a living, and I always keep my texts open for all my all my former students. Man, you don't you don't have to be taking lessons from me. You want to text me up? Let me know what's up. Blah blah blah. Like I'm I'm always checking up on some of them. Like, hey, how's it going? How's this going? How's school going? You know, I think it's important, man. I think it's yes. important to have role models. You know what I mean? And people that that care about you because I think it's that pay it forward thing where it's like you remember when people cared about you when you needed them to care about you you need somebody to care about you and then you realize like oh you know what i could be that same person for that next generation which is huge um speaking of that you're uh you're doing a podcast like we do so uh tell our listeners where 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 they can find you and uh what 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 they what you want them to know about your podcast yeah, me and my co-host, we started a podcast called All Ball Chicago, where we wanted to give back to Chicago 
you know, some of the players that some people may have forgotten about, you know, and not, not this so-called, you know, elite, you know, players, but just, you know, players that who did a lot of good things in Chicago, especially in the public school, um, high school. We wanted to get we wanted to start that. But we started because of COVID. You know, that's how we actually started it. We wasn't really trying to take it nowhere. And then people started wanting more and more. And we were like, man, we own something. So uh, that's when we started All Ball Chicago. So we have a YouTube channel. We go live on Facebook. Um, we are basically on all of the podcast uh, outlets, you know, Apple and, you know, all the other ones, Google. We own all of those. Uh, but we had a couple, a couple of good guests, man, that people were like, man, how did you get such and such? You know, like we had Rick Barry on and, and, and Rick Barry was awesome, man. Like he was talking about the goat and everybody's talking about the goat, who's the goat. And he said, in my eyes, you know, uh, Wilt Chamberlain should be called the goat because he averaged 50 points a game, you know, and, and then you have somebody that, that would disagree, you know, say Michael Jordan. So when we have those talks like that all the time on all ball Chicago. That's awesome, man. It's always cool to have good basketball talk, right? And I mean, and what a great forum we have for a podcast nowadays where anybody can basically have one and then it's just up to you to keep it going and, and push forward, just like in basketball or any sports or just life in general. Um, we're going to do a quick lightning round, if you don't mind. Zach's going to ask the questions. Just a couple okay. word answers, some questions Zach's got. Zach, are you ready to ask the questions? Absolutely. Uh, my first question is, who's your toughest cover as a player, the one guy that you just – continue to not be able to figure out how to guard man that would have to be lionel Sim lionel simmons you guys remember the l train oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah man l train was yeah he was one of those hard guys to, to guard man because he was really strong and he can take you off the dribble so he would be one of my toughest you know guards but also dennis hopson dennis hopson was another tough okay. you know you know of course we all know michael jordan and, <laughs> yeah. and, and scotty pippen but you know, but those were the guys that I was mostly on, those two guys. Okay. Uh, any weird superstitions or pregame rituals that you or a teammate had that come to mind? No, um, I used to watch Chris Jackson a lot, you know, but then I figured out it was because he had Tourette's, you know, Tourette's syndrome that he, that's the way he, you know, did it. But he would, he would, I would literally watch him untie his shoe, you know, 50 times. <laughs> but right. he was saying, I do it because, you know, I got Tourette's and I want it to be perfect. Sometimes it doesn't feel perfect. So that was one of the things that I used to see, but he was, he, I think the, that's what he was a little bit of superstitious too, because he would leave his house and he would turn around. Cause I remember sometimes I went to the game with him and he would turn right back around and go right back to his house and make sure the door was locked. And he might do that three or four times. Right. It, it was, it was, it was different. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, how'd you get the nickname doc? Oh man. That's that was in middle school. I was playing in a tournament and I think I may have scored like 28, 30 points in a game. I was only in like seventh grade at the time. And this girl, she was a cheerleader on the opposing team. And she came up, said, can I have this? She was one of the first persons too, to ask for my autograph. She's like, can I have your autograph? And I'm like, I don't know, seventh grade. What are you telling me? You know, I'll autograph. <laughs> And she said, um, do you have a nickname? I said, no. She said, well, I have one if you want it. And I was like, okay, let me hear it. She said, Doc Rock. Okay. And I said, okay, well, what's, what's that stand for? You know? And she said, well, Doc part stands for you operate, you know, on the court. Right. And then the rock part, you rock them to sleep. I said, oh, I said, I'm going to keep that nickname. I'm going to keep it. And, and it stuck with me ever since, you know, that day. I went back home and said, my nickname is Doc Rock. And everybody started calling me. Then they stopped. They dropped the rock part and they just kept the Doc. So everybody that, that knows me back in Chicago, they know I go by the name of Doc. Doc Rock. I love it. All right. Thanks for sharing that. And then uh, we had a chance to have guys like Ronnie Fields and William Gates on our show. I mean, some Chicago greats. I got to ask, do you have an all-time Chicago starting five? Ooh. That's a that's, that's a, a tough one. That's man. a loaded one. I understand if you can't answer that one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, man, I'm definitely. I know two of them definitely gonna be on there. That's uh, Mark Aguirre and and Isaiah Thomas. You know, those two are definitely those. Are, those are my mount. Those two are my mount Rushmores for sure. Um, 
And then I got to put myself on there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm a, you know I'm not. You got to put Benji on there. So you got you got two right there. I mean four right there. And then you can throw any point guard you want. You know with that team, and, and you'd be good. But of course you you, you can throw in a, a Derrick Rose or um, or Tim Hardaway. Yeah, it's so many great basketball players. It's hard to just say five. Yeah. you know, five guys. So I, I try to stay away from that type of question, but, you know, definitely, definitely those two, Mark Aguirre and Isaiah Thomas are going to be on everybody's list. Yeah. It should, I mean, it should be. I mean, the list goes on. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you, you could name 50 dudes that could take that, you know, fifth spot. And then uh, right. my final question is, what's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one, what's that one memory that will always stick out? High school, you know, it's always going to be the high school part, you know, becoming that top dog. Um, that's that's something that and being a being, and being a McDonald All-American, you know, 25, you know, players being taken each year and you are one of those players, you know. So yeah. those things are going to always, you know, stick with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add or promote? You know, no, just um, I'm living here in uh, Sarasota, Florida, doing my basketball camps. Uh, Liberty Edge Basketball is the name of it. Uh, if you want to go follow me on Instagram, give me Liberty, Liberty Edge. Uh, the real Mark is Liberty on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook, Mark is Liberty. Awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you today. You gave us so many great stories. It's so, so, so much fun. It's kind of my era of basketball, so it was great to hear all those names again for sure. Um, Zach, is there anything you want to add before we let Marcus out of here? Yeah, I just want to say thanks so much for your time. I mean, this is truly an honor. Like I said, you're somebody that I really, really studied when I was growing up. I mean, you had a big impact on my basketball uh, career. I mean, you, you don't even know. But uh, just know that some kid from Reno, Nevada is watching you play, and you had a big impact on him. So this is an honor, and uh, we just can't thank you enough. It was truly, truly a fun time for us. I appreciate it, guys, too. And you guys keep doing your thing, too, man, and, and getting the guests. And I know you guys are educating people on certain things and topics that you guys bring on. So just keep doing your thing, too. Awesome. Marcus, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Stay safe out there. All right. You guys, too. Take care. Peace. All right. Thank bye. you. Another great interview. Really cool hearing all those stories. Nice to hear about Benji, you know, guy that yeah. gets forgotten as the years go on more and you know you know really a, a kid that shouldn't be forgotten and unfortunately just because of gun violence you know he we lost him and you know he's he's a guy where man you know think about where the nba goes you know if if he doesn't get his life taken from him you know what i mean it, it, that whole thing he was really right when he talked about a lot of that six eight six nine guys that can handle the ball you know and and we saw we i mean we see it nowadays all the time now right but Back then, you didn't see a lot of guys that were six eight, six nine handling the ball. You really yeah. didn't. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean that's what was so incredible about Marcus's game too. I mean the way that he handled the ball. The I mean the the passing. I mean he could play any position on the floor, and that's what I loved about him. He's so interchangeable. And for somebody like me who's a tweener in high school, like those are the guys I love to watch. The guys that could just do a little bit of everything because it made me more complete. You know, so. I mean, this this was this really was an honor for me. This is really him and Walt Williams. I mean, those are two guys I really watched a lot of. So this is a really cool one for me. Life changer. Yeah, which is <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, which is definitely awesome for sure. Maybe we can get Bernard King on. That would be amazing. Bernard, Bernard I loved when I was a kid, man. Bernard, you know, and you know my other guy, number 33. I always wore 33 in school for, for you. Lonzo Morning, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Zoe's my guy. Lonzo's my guy. But Bernard King. Dude. Another life-changing one. Well, sure. when he talks about Bernard taking it to him, the first NBA yeah. moment, and when Bernard was on the Bullets, I believe he didn't play for two years before he was on the Bullets from the energy, yeah. energy, injury from the Knicks. Came back and led the league in scoring. That was unheard of. I mean, an injury like that back then was, I mean, a death sentence for your career. So, I mean, what he did was unheard of back then. And to also come back to all-star form. And so yeah. he averaged 28 on the bullets in a 90-91 in the, okay. yeah, so, tw so 28. He, he, but he, averaged, he averaged 32 at the Knicks uh, okay. the year before he got hurt. Yeah, and it was a shame too because it's like you never you never really got to see him and Patrick play together, which would have been really interesting. And 
yeah, I, it, the, all the what ifs, you know what I mean? But man, to come back, you know, to come back and play at a high level the way he did is absolutely amazing. Bernard King. And, I mean, and you know what? Forget the what ifs. The what is, the what happened is almost more impressive to me, what he did to overcome that. I mean, that's why I love him so much. That's why he's one of my childhood heroes. I mean, the, the what is, is if not more impressive to me. Oh, totally. Totally. And I always think about that playoff series against the Pistons. Oh man, I, we go on. We're not going to go on. <laughs> yeah, that that's a whole other podcast. It totally is. So Bernard, if you're not listening, uh, <laughs> please <laughs> please come on, <laughs> or if somebody that knows Bernard, tell him that you know if he wants to talk good hoops with no hot takes with a enormous Knicks fan as one of the hosts, um, come on on. But uh, in all serious, I mean, I am serious about that. But in all seriousness, uh, Marcus gives a lot of great stuff today. What a really cool guy, and he understands the impact of you know basketball and coaching and how how being a coach makes such a huge difference and you know just a really positive good dude and really appreciated all the time that he gave us you know yeah i mean and he's gonna have a huge impact on those kids coaching i know he already does but i mean he's gonna continue to do it and i i just love that dick vitell is the one that got him coaching dick vitell's my guy man i mean he is he is college basketball um I, I love Dickie V, so that was really cool to hear that he had such a big impact on him. I do too, man. I can't think I cannot think of college basketball without hearing baby. You know, like <laughs> I can't I can't I'm sorry, like Dick was the original Gus Johnson. He was the original, like, you know, like actually wanting to be there, so into calling the games. You know yeah. what I mean? But like really into it, not like this fake where everybody's gotta yell at the TV now when they're calling games like somebody I hear it in football all the time. Somebody gets like three yards and it's like they just won the Super Bowl with some of these idiots calling games. I mean, Dick Vitale really enjoyed basketball. I mean, he still does. It's just he's yeah. so important to basketball, especially college. It's it's unbelievable. I don't um, think anybody loves it as much as Dick Vitale. And it shows every single day. So he never has an off day. He never has an off day. No, and such a positive dude. And speaking of positives, thanks so much for everybody listening to us. Um, in the charts in Germany this week, so I don't know, you know, who, who, which podcast you were listening to in Germany, but thank you all of our fellow Germans for getting us on the charts for a week in Germany. That was pretty rad. And, That's got to uh, be my guy, Jermaine Barnes. That's got to be Jermaine Barnes. That's got to be Juice. Thank see? you, Juice. Yeah. So thank you very much. I mean, it's always nice to, it's always nice when people from different countries are checking us out. You know, just like when people from the states check us out, it's it's very humbling and just. It's amazing to think the reach that we're getting with this podcast and it's because you guys. So thank you so much for checking us out, sharing us on the socials, you know, um, reviews, five stars. We read every review. So any anything you can do to help us out, you know, a review, a ranking, any of that stuff, man, we appreciate it. Um, Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Just a big thanks to Marcus Doc Liberty, man. Uh, like I said, life-changing, truly an honor. I, it, this is just a lot of fun today. I just can't can't thank him enough. That was, that was very, very awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Great person, great story. It was very generous with this time. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the show. Make sure you're good to yourself, be good to others. Peace.